want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Shelf Indulgence. Um, it's myself and Wendy again tonight, and we're bringing you Microbrew Radio's weekly look at the world of books. So, um, let's start off tonight's show with our regular visit to Poetry Corner. Wendy, your turn this week for Poetry Corner. What have you got for us? I've got a doozy. Um, and I ha- I'm, I'm taking bets with myself, Jim, to say how far I get into it before you guess the author. <laughs> okay. It's a poem, and actually, the title may give it away, but it's a poem called Television. The most important thing we've learned so far as children are concerned is never, never, never let them nay your television set. Or better still, just don't install the idiotic thing at all. In almost every house we've been, we've watched them gaping at the screen. They loll and slop and lounge about and stare until their eyes pop out. Last week in someone's place we saw a dozen eyeballs on the floor. They sit and stare and stare and sit until they're hypnotised by it, until they're absolutely drunk with all that shocking, ghastly junk. Oh, yes, we know it keeps them still. They don't climb out on the windowsill. They never fight or kick or punch. They leave you free to cook the lunch. And wash the dishes in the sink. But did you ever stop to think, to wonder just exactly what this does to your beloved tot? Well, brilliant. Uh, It was, I was 99% confident by the end of the first line and 100% by the end of the second. I believe that's by a certain Roald Dahl. It is, yes. And it's, it's only, it's only about a third of the poem. Um, but what did it for me, why, why I picked that today is that actually we've been complaining about how dreadful over the festive period, how absolutely dreadful television was. And that in a lot of cases, the only thing that was worth watching was stuff from the 70s and 80s. I mean, I, now, that I, could I, be my age, Jim, um, we, but it just it sang to me that did. I didn't watch an awful lot over the over Christmas festive period, um, but um, I mean, for me, as long as I can remember, Christmas has been associated with watching certain films that are on every year, anyway, like Mary Poppins, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, um, Zulu. Uh, <laughs> there's no, there's, you know, there's normally. You know, my, my granddad, the, all the, the war films that will be rerun, my granddad used to have an absolute feast on that. i tell you what I did find surprising over the festive period. I went away um, new, just before New Year's to a wedding and at the uh, accommodation, the, um, there was free view in the room. That was channel hopping, as you do when you're in a hotel, just to, you know, see what's on. And um, on I one of the ITVs, because there's, what, 12 now? I don't know. On one of the ITV channels, they seem to be showing back-to-back the entirety of the carry-on catalogue. And I thought, do you know what? I'm surprised they're showing it. Because there are a certain number of um, programmes of that era that could be construed to no longer be politically correct. Well, they put warnings up before them, don't they, that say mm-hmm. this was filmed in a time when some of the social stereotypes that are used in it were, were deemed acceptable. Oh, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I didn't catch the start of one. That yeah. did surprise me. But um, no, I, do you know, with Roald Dahl's poetry, there's a certain patter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an iambic, is it iambic? Now, is it an iambic pentameter? Pentameter, yeah. 
It's that sing-songy sort yeah, of. I think it's. It might, I'd have to check. The, I've checked whether it's five in it, but I'm not counting. But it, it, there is a feel to Dahl and his words and his use of words, his choice of words. Mm. Um, and if you've read much of his poetry, then instantly these these resound with my ears. Um, I mean, have you read the? Revolting Rhymes and Dirty Beasts. Series. I haven't, no, but I have got it on my list to read because you've oh, recommended that to me before. Such fun, Revolting Rhymes. <laughs> he retold, in fact, actually, over the Christmas period, there was a reimagining of Revolting Rhymes, which strayed slightly from the text, but not a great deal. And it was, um, it's the, it's rolled retelling some of the, our favourite fairy tales. Yeah, yeah. But not the modern claptrap version that we all know that have been sissified to make children happy. Mm. Now, these are the gory versions. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a wonderful line where um, Little Red Riding Hood uh, whips a pistol from her knickers as soon as her eyelid flickers, and then the wolf's gone. He's, you know, she's got a lovely wolfskin coat to wear. Um, Brilliant, brilliant work. Right, well, thank you very much for that. I love Roldal, as you know, and his poetry does amuse me greatly. Mm. So, tonight's show, the main feature thereof, is this week's and next week's book, which is a step in a new direction for us both, I think. I don't think either of us have read uh, much, if any, Nordic Noir. Have you read Nordic Noir? I, I have had a go. I have had to go to try and read it. But do you know what? And and I was saying this tonight when I was I was chatting with Andrew about it. Um it's so slow. And there's only so many times you can read a 14-page description of snow. For you to I, I just lose the will to leave. And, and true, when you suggested this different understanding of snow to us, don't they? Yeah. I was very sceptical on you. I, I went along with it because you suggested it. I was very sceptical. And when I started to read it, I thought to myself, Jim's got this wrong. This is, it's set in Scandinavia. This isn't written by somebody, a Scandinavian author. And of course it is. And then I looked into him. And do you know what, Jim? He is the guy that translated 20 odd Agatha Christie novels into Icelandic. Oh, well, he had a great schooling then. No wonder. Well, that just made perfect sense because actually it is quite a pacey novel. Um, the characters are really, really well developed. There is a bit of a locked room feel to it. Um, and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, uh, me too. Um so the book this week and next week is Snowblind by Ragnar Jonasson. Um, and I think the most challenging thing about the book is possibly some of the names. Yeah, some of the pronunciations. You know, I mean, even Ari, who is the main character, is it Ari, 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 Uri, Ari, Tor, and then it's Thor, but is that Thor or Thor or, you know, Icelandic is without doubt. I've been reliably informed by friends of mine who are scholarly in the linguistic arts that it, Icelandic is the hardest language to learn on the, on the earth. Um, and, you know, it, it's definitely got its own set of rules. But, yeah, he's, he's got this double-barrelled first name, Aritor, uh, and then, and it's, it feels weird every time you read his name because everyone refers to him as Aritor. It's like, it's as though they're referring to him by his full name all the time, but they have to remember mm. So actually his surname is Arison. Mm. So it's this strange dual-barrowed first name. But also he's he's not that enigmatic a character, I don't think. I, th I thought he was really an interesting character because <laughs> for me, he's, he's, he's young and he's setting out on his career and his career is hugely important to him because he's had a couple of false starts hasn't he yeah 
you know, and he's he's the sort of is the sort of guy. One of the phrases in the book says he never really sticks at anything. So he'll go and he'll start a degree and then he decides 12 months and he don't like it. So he'll change to something else. And the last degree that he tried was theology. So he yeah. was he was he was trying to um, study to become a, a, a man of the cloth mm-hmm. um, and then gave that up and became a policeman uh, or a trainee policeman. And so this is a guy who who sort of is struggling to find his place, really, doesn't know what he wants to do. Um, and, I mean, he's in his sort of late 20s, early 30s, I would guess. And um, and so you just don't get he, – he's just – he's casting around to find his place. Yes, and, and one of the decisions that strikes me as completely bewildering early on is Harry Tor lives in – Reykjavik with his delightful, wonderful, beautiful girlfriend who is a talented uh, and uh, intelligent young lady who's studying uh, medicine and is going to be a doctor. And, you know, he's, he seems to have got it kind of made with her. And, you know, he's a policeman, so he can get a job as a policeman in Reykjavik. That's no bother. But he gets this job offer out of the blue to go and be um, the new police officer in the station at Siglufjordir, which is how I've decided to pronounce it. Um, I'm completely wrong. Uh, but yeah, he's, so, and it's this town that's completely rural backwater, almost as far north as you can go. Well, not quite as far north as you can go in Iceland, but it is on the north coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iceland's got this strange... Um, like pincer crab thing on its north coast, and it's in the bay down at the bottom of that. So you have to go and up if you if you get there by sea, which is as I visited nearby to the Akureyri. Uh, to get there, you have to cross the Arctic Circle, then come back down below the Arctic Circle to get to get to the um to get to the ports. But it's this it's this rural fishing village that is if if there's a bit of snow, it's isolated. It's completely mm. off. And he gets a wonderful sense of claustrophobia as soon as he's there. But he gets offered this job there, and without thinking, definitely without discussing it, or even thinking of discussing it with his girlfriend, he just goes, yeah, all right, and I'll come. You know, move four or 500 miles away, at the drop of a hat. And then when he drops into conversation with her and is surprised that she doesn't say, oh, yeah, I'll come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just uproot everything and come and live with you there. Or And and he's really kind of like spoilt and brattish, I think, in the way that he, he responds to her negativity. No, he is. And, and that continues. And he's really, he sulks because, you know, she's quite cross with him. And... Um, and as they move through the book, it comes up to Christmas. And, oh. of course, in Scandinavia, Christmas Eve is the big festival. Big thing. And um, and he just drops on her a couple of days before, because he's the new guy, All everybody else in the office is saying, oh, great, well, Ariel will do the Christmas shift for us. Yeah. And everybody else clears off and has their Christmas holiday, and he's left holding the fold. And he has to ring his girlfriend and tell her this. So she was expecting to see him. Come yeah. back and spend Christmas and the New Year, and of course he does. No, when when uh, when she says that, yeah, you know, he says, "Oh, don't worry, I'll be back at Christmas to see you then." La da da da, and then um, when he rings her to tell her that he can't, it's she is very upset because the way it comes about in conversation, it's almost as that although he has rung to tell her, she starts the conversation off with. Ah, yes, now Christmas, I've arranged that we can go to my mum and dad's as usual. He's he's an, only, he's an orphan, so he, it's not like he's got a family to go to. His family is essentially her and her parents. Mm. Uh, he's an only child orphan. But, yeah, then we've, we've got this, you know, he's like, ah, yeah, well, um, all those plans you've made, because I said I'd be home for Christmas, well, I'm not. And he is brattish about it, spoiled. And he even like he decides to spend 
uh, his time in the single bedroom in the house that they put in, the house they give him to live in, single video, is massive, far too big for him. It's a family house. And there's a single bedroom and a door bedroom upstairs, and he chooses the single bedroom as though he's emphasizing his fact the fact that she's not coming with him. But you know what? I just think, um, I think that that is, you, you can interpret that as him being British or, or, or whatever. But for me, there is a bit that says, um, he's isolated and he's lonely and he, but he doesn't know what to do about it. And I think it was probably quite, um, it's quite lucky that he managed to get into a relationship with Kirsten in the first place, his girlfriend. Um, but I don't think he understands how to handle it. And I don't think he values it. And very often with people like that, they only value it when it's no longer there. Yeah. And as you get further into the book, he does. At first, he starts to say things like, you know, well, she's been completely unreasonable. You know, why, why can't she just, you know, she's not wrong me. Um, and when she does ring me, she's very shirty with me. You know, it's that sort of, I can't understand what I've done wrong. It's a bit like if you've watched The Big Bang Theory, he's got the emotional intelligence of Sheldon. Yes. Yeah. He just, he can't see why the world isn't fitting in around him. Yeah. Well, and I wonder, is that a little bit of the only child in him? It could be. It could be. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't, um, I think he was, was he a, say, young adult? Mm. Kind of like pre-teenage when his parents died? Was he 13? 12 or 13? He was about there, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, So, yeah, he's not been an orphan all his entire life, but that being an only child and then being an only child orphan could be that nature of, well, I've only got to worry about me. I haven't got to think about anybody else. Mm. Um. Well, he's an interesting character. I do like him in as a protagonist. I just think he's a bit of a brat at times. Yeah. Um, and the other bit of this story, which is really intriguing and pulls you in, is that there is a parallel story about a woman who is um, attacked by um, what we presume. Oh, I we were going to bring up Oogla first, but okay. All right. Um, so, so well, it's the first, it's the first chapter in the book, isn't it? Yeah. Which is why I wanted to get it in early. Yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So it, it, um, it, 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 it chops backwards and forwards, doesn't it? It, it does. It does. And time. And and it's the the other part of the book, which I thought was quite clever. Um, the bit with Arian and and his saga of his life and who he meets and getting to know people in the village and, and stuff, the town, that is quite fast-paced. But the bit that describes the woman who is dealing with an attacker in her own home is actually quite slow and precise yeah. and very pedantic in its detail. And do you know what? I think that the that sort of counterpoint between those two things works really well because it's a fantastic device to build tension. Yeah, oh, it's clever. Very clever. Um, no, I like it. I like that. And, but also there's that other character of Oogla. Oogla? Oogla? Yeah. Um, who is also an orphan. Yeah. And has moved to – no, she's not an orphan – that's wrong. Ignore me. She's not an orphan. No, she's had some sort of traumatic event that we're not. She has had a traumatic event that we're not sure what it is. We know her childhood sweetheart, who became her grown-up sweetheart, died in this traumatic event, and that she felt it needful to completely move away from home and yeah, to cut anonymous, herself off essentially to anonymously set up in this same isolated, cut off. Um, fjord of single fjordier. Um, I'd love to know how it's properly pronounced. <laughs> if you're listening and you're Icelandic, please get in touch. You should ask Siri. Oh, I'm not sure how good her Icelandic is, but anyway. Um, but yeah, certainly get in touch and let us know. But yeah, so and she's an interesting character as well because she 
in a similar way to Aritor, she is putting herself into this isolated position voluntarily. He's chosen to go there voluntarily. She's gone there to escape. So they're there for different reasons, but they're both voluntarily in this claustrophobic, isolated location. And there is a bit of me that wonders whether ultimately, whether they might become an item because there is significant similarities in their personalities. Yeah. Um, And they're both running away from things. They're running away from different things, um, but they are running away from things. Um, And they're in, it is a tight knit community. And, and what's interesting is, um, Harry is very much uh, viewed as the outsider. So as the policeman, people don't like him asking questions and he gets into trouble with his boss because he says the wrong things and stuff. And it's really clear that they're treating him as the outsider. But in her own way, she's also an outsider. Yes. But then the guy that he replaced, the police officer he replaced, who'd been there for 30 years before he retired, after 30 years service, he was still called the outsider. Yeah, yeah. The out of town. Um, yeah. So it is that kind of rural. Everybody knows each other. Everybody knows. I mean, the the police officer uh, Thomas, who owned, who was the chief of police up there, he even makes a comment about keys. What do you want keys for? We don't like our doors. Mm-hmm. Well, it happens. And although that is what's clever in the counterpart and counterpoint of the the fast paced element of it, because I think if you haven't got that. Um, because although it's incredibly rest, re- easy reading and very fast paced, everything that's happening with Harry Tor and his move up to, you know, we've not really got into the meat and bones of the investigation. No, I think I'm a bit further on than you, well, and than yeah. um, you, but you're 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 absolutely around the middle of the book before you discover who the woman is um because you have no indication as to who she is it's just going through the process um and how their paths cross literally how their paths cross and and it, you're halfway into the book before you find that out um and do you know what normally i would be quite irritated by that because i'd i'd think to myself do you know what i can't where's it going yeah. um but actually i thought it was really well done and um and i really i'd i'd pegged it i'd guessed that it was the wrong person i thought it was somebody else um and so when it came out who it was i was quite surprised at that um, but did you say yeah. that the counterpoint of this very precise detailed slow paced account of what's happening to her is what saves it if you only i don't think it saves it because if that wasn't there and it was just the it was just the story about um about him as a detective and and then you know exploring because there's a couple of deaths in it uh, or rather a, a death and um, and a near death. Um, I would still read it because I love the reading style and what I uh, the writing style. And what I realise is that I like action and I like dialogue and I don't necessarily like rambling descriptions of the environment or of the weather or, you know, that sort of stuff, because actually I've got a bright enough in- imagination to fill those gaps in for myself. So it would still hold my interest, I think, um, even if that wasn't there. But for me, it added a bit of frisson, which yeah. which has sort of kept me really intrigued. So um, it's it's an added la- layer for me. Um, and I quite I really do like it. Right, I'm going to interject at this point with one of our regular segments of what okay. has I read this week. Yeah. Now she's had a busy week this week, so she's not Pleasure. read anywhere as much. She's only read two and a half books this week. Oh, good grief. She must be having withdrawal symptoms. So she's read Landlines by Raina Wynn. 
Now, remember the book we read with the couple that were off? Salt Path, yeah. This is one of the sequels. Right. This is the third, I yep. think. And Granny assures me there's some very funny details in it. There's particularly, uh, there's there's one point where um, they're doing some sort of walk in Scotland. He, he's still alive. They're doing some walk, sort of walk in Scotland. And um, this woman's telling them, she listens to the story and what have you, and she goes, oh, there's this book about, about this couple that lose everything and go and walk this coastal path. You should read that. to do you some good, that book would. Oh, and it's so sad. He dies at the end. And he sat there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so she's read that, and she's read Slave by Mendy Nazir, um, which was passed on to her by my niece, uh, not niece, cousin, her, her granddaughter, on my other side. Um, and it's, it, to me, and this is a book I would never pick up because these kind of books, I think for me, I find them quite hard to read. Um, and I mean, this tells the story of, uh, it's a fascinating memoir of an African childhood and a moving testimony to a young girl's indomitable spirit in the face of adversity. A woman who is abducted and sold, um, in Khartoum, as a slave. She was kept for seven years as a domestic slave. And she's passed on to other masters and owners and uh, eventually managed to escape to freedom in England. Um, and she says it was very good, very moving. So if you, if you like that sort of book, and it did win an award, it won an award for the uh, winner of the Index on Censorship Book Award 2004. But not not my cup of tea. And then her th- second, the the third book she started, which she's not, not finished yet, but I'm sure it won't take long. Is she's reading the Postscript Murders? Oh, she'll like that. So yeah, she's she's got she's she's into that. And after her mar- marathon of Ellie Griffiths, she's back on some more Ellie Griffiths now, but with not um, not Doctor Ruth Galloway, mm. uh, although. I have since ordered for her the next for Dr. Ruth Galloway's so that she's up to date, ready for the new one that's coming out. Excellent. Uh, so that has, that is what Granny's read this week. Um, it's just some more books that, you know, you may, uh, listeners out there, want to pick up and read on her recommendation. Um, so back to Snowblind. Now, this book for me... I am um, now. I know you say you don't like long, meandering descriptions of settings and weather, but one of the things I do really enjoy about this is that there's there's enough there that I can picture it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and the little maps. I you know. I love a book with a map. Any book where the author's taken the time to put a little sketch map in the front of where different things in the location are, and Agatha did it several times in hers, um, you know, just, just, oh, yeah, okay, that, that helps me. Well, you helps. see, I, I haven't got that because I'm reading it up via Kindle. Oh, there's... I haven't got the map. Oh, right. Well, in the beginning of this book, on the, I think it's the, like, the first page for the text... Um, there's a page showing you uh, the whole of Iceland, so you can get an idea of the distances. So Reykjavik is down on the southwest, mm-hmm. and uh, Siglufjordir uh, is north centre, um, right on the north coast, but in the centre of the island. And then you've got um, the nearest place you can get a flight to to get to single if you did domestic internal flight is you know a good long drive mm. and you know that you just get an idea of the scale of things from that map of how far people have moved away or done something um and then also you get the um close-up map of the layout of the of the town of Sigluf you did. But you get that 
Um, when I first looked at that, when I first looked at that map, it just I was like nothing. And mm. I think it was the names because the names were all very Icelandic. I was like, I have no idea where anything is. But then as you're reading it, you just oh, oh that's the and that's oh, okay, yeah. And then it just kind of helps me piece it together. I really enjoy a book with a map, but also it's got, like you say, there's enough emotive description to create that feeling of isolation, the distance, the ruralness. That this this is a fishing community. And I, I definitely think that um, for me that balance is absolutely right. Because the description is enough, so you're absolutely clear of the place. You're absolutely clear of what's going on, of the relationships. You're clear about distances. You're clear about the weather and the sense of isolation it brings. But they don't go banging on about it. <laughs> Do you know, once it's done, it's done. And then you can you go, OK, well, I've got that now. So let's focus on the story and on the plot and on the characters. So for me, I think he's got that balance absolutely right in a way that some of the other Scandinavian um, authors that I've read just don't don't do for me. No. I mean, I, I know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, so I know that Joe Nesbo is, is a real sort of um, very famous author um, of the of this genre um and i just find the descriptions in that those books deadly dull it, uh, they don't they don't inspire me to keep reading and I, I suppose really i came to this thinking that this would be the same and was so pleasantly surprised that it isn't it isn't like that at all um and so i'm um, i'm absolutely into it and i had as i say i'm i'm halfway through it and I had no problem with that at all um, and I thought I was going to struggle if I'm honest, Jim. Yeah, well, uh, we had that conversation and, you know, I think, I mean, this is his debut, isn't it? Um, mm. And I wonder, oh, let's see what's next. Let's see how his development goes, because is he going to book his trend and become more like the rest of the Nordic noir genre, or is he going to follow what he started? Certainly, mm. it seems to be very high praise for him, both internationally and um, oh, according to Waterstone today, Wendy. Uh, you know that you should be banned from there. It's fatal, isn't it? How many know, did you come out with? One. <gasps> no, Jim. Yeah, only one. But yeah, I was spe- I was speaking to the lady behind the counter, um, and. She was saying, oh, he's very good. He's very good when we talked about Snowblind. So, yeah, he's uh, – and there is no doubt in my mind, he's a very good author. Um, what do you make of some of these other characters and what do you make of Oogla's story and how far you've got with her and what, what me – you're a bit further ahead than me and I, I, I can see your thinking as to why she might be involved because – with him in the future, because yeah. there is this. Why else is she there? Yeah, I, I do you... think that the the sort of their characters would sort of gravitate to each other because of this fact that they're both outsiders. They share some similar traits. They're both running away from something, even though we're not quite clear what that is yet. They are both running away from something, so that that would that sort of would make sense to me. I also like there are a couple of characters in this book as well um, that are older characters. So um, a couple of older guys um, who play a significant part in the 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 plot as the book moves on. Um, And I love the way he writes older characters as well, because um, he he doesn't do the slipping into the stereotype of how to write an old person. Um, he writes them with interest and with depth and um, they're interesting characters. So I do like the way he, I do like the way he writes. There's definite definition um, between the types of characters that he writes. And it's like yeah. the way he writes his boss. His boss is a real knob. Excuse me, but he just is, and um, and he cuts him no slack at all, and you just think to yourself, really, do you, you know, 
um, and you just it, that the interplay between them, you know that at some point Ari's going to get get one over on him, and it, it ain't going to end well. No. So it's I just I do like his his uh, his characterisation. I think it's very good. I I I really like uh, Hrofe, who is the the old guy that Ugla first uh, lodges with. Mm. He seems a really nice. I mean, I I almost wondered at one point is he, is he just too nice and there's gonna he's gonna you know turn out to be the serial killer and or, yeah I, I mean I doubt it's him very much but you know and you're like oh this guy's too good he's too good mm, mm. um but yeah I mean I think all the characters very well formed very well created um the pace of the book loving it. I find it really interesting, and and I've been, I can't stop thinking about it since, um, since you mentioned it to me that he was the guy that translated Agatha Christie into. Oh Latin. yeah, and you can you can feel it in, in the way made, that he writes. Very much sense. You can feel the way that he writes. He's learned a craft of how to craft a whodunit, and yeah. and he does it very very well, very well. Yeah, really good. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're we're halfway through the book. Have you got predictions? Um, got- I'm just at the I'm just at the stage where they're starting to pull these threads and they're coming together. And um, it's it's interesting to me. That one of the incidental characters, who you think is an incidental character at the beginning, and who's one of these sort of jovial, always passing the time of day, really nice sort of character. I'm at the stage now where I'm starting to think, hang on a minute, is this guy too good to be true? And is there something from his past that makes him um, potentially uh, a magnet for trouble? Hilner. The, Carl, uh, it's Carl. Oh, oh, Carl. Oh. So he is an incidental character at the beginning of the book, oh. isn't he? And he, you just get a passing mention. But he comes into it more and more as the book goes on. And you learn a little bit more. You know this thing about Agatha Christie where she'd take an incidental character and she'd just feed you the, the odd snippets, the odd tidbits. And you'd you'd walk away, and at the end of it, you'd have a bag full of these tidbits, and you'd think to yourself, "And I'm that's the sort of feeling I'm getting. I've got a bag full of tidbits at the moment, and um and perhaps and perhaps Carl isn't as innocent as um as I thought he might be. No, um, with. Mm, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Oh, yeah, because there's the um. I mean, he's not the only police officer in this town. We know that. There's Thomas, who is the boss of the station. And then we meet another of his colleagues, who I think is Hilner or Hilner or something like that. And he's the one who um, christens uh, Ari Tor with the nickname The Priest. Mm. Um, And he, he just struck me as... You know when you when you when you meet, and I find I've seen this quite a few times in uh, when I've watched those Scandi programs that are based on books. And there's always a cop who you just feel, yeah, something off about you, mate. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I've been yeah. watching some of the. Um, is it the uh, the Three Pines mysteries? Okay. Um, these are books that they've turned into. Um, that they've turned into TV programmes. And the lead detective in it is played by um, Alfred Molina, who I, I like as an actor anyway. Um, but it's set up in um, in the far north of Canada, and um, uh, up by Quebec. Um, and so there's lots of cultural stuff that happens. So not not Scandinavian, but, but a similar cultural um, contrast in it. Um, and you get that same feeling that that this, you know, isolation in a place that is desolate for nine months in the year in terms of its weather is it breeds that sort of foreboding and that 
intimidation and um and it's it's a great it's a great backdrop for a for a murder mystery absolutely brilliant i've not been <clears throat> this far north in winter i've been this far north in summer and the feeling of having no night time you know it's just daylight all the time it, that was mental for me. I, I struggled to cope with that. Because mm. um, <clears throat> particularly at that time in my life, I was definitely one of those people that if it's light out, I'm not asleep. Mm. Um, but on reflection, being there in the opposite, where there's, you know, you've, if you're that far north, uh, there is no daytime. You get very little daylight, yeah. Um, and it's like that's got to be fairly oppressive in itself. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, right, shall we? Shall we do our other regular segment of what's caught your eye this week? Yes, that sounds good. So, Wendy, have you have you been browsing? I have been browsing. Yes, I have. have um, there's been a couple of things that caught my eye. The first one, which I've absolutely laughed out loud about you know we live in a world of memes and and yeah. uh, stuff like that for the internet um there is there's a couple of these books book one and two that is available and it's called poetry of the public now i used to watch a comedian called dave gorman Yes, he know. used to do stuff um uh, called found poems and he used to take bizarre text strands and text threads and he used to weave them into poems which i thought was really funny um but they've done a couple of books now called overheard at waitrose and these are conversation weird snippets of conversations that people have overheard while they're doing their shopping um and they're almost um haku yeah. So these are no more than five or six sentences. So they're they're almost haku. Um but I have absolutely well I was flicking through it, I've absolutely roared. They are so bizarre and so funny. I just loved them. Um and so um I know that there are several people who are going to get copies of this next Christmas without a shadow of a doubt because they're just so lovely. And I thought I'd give you, shall I give you a couple of snippets? Oh, go on then. We love a snippet. (laughs) So um, overheard in Waitrose queue, two ladies talking and one said to the other, I kid you not, she honestly thought that the Cornish Riviera was a continent. And the second one that I absolutely loved um, was, uh, again, two ladies standing in the queue. And she said, and you'll never guess what they did then. She served me Ferrero Rocher with my Martino. They were as rough as. Something very rough. Something very rough. <laughs> oh, God. And you, But you can hear, you can hear the inverted snobbery. It's just... It's quintessentially British. I just love it. Well, as I said, I went to Waterstones today. And what did you say that caught your eye? Well, I I actually went with... Well, I was going to fetch spectacles from Specsavers, and I found myself in town slightly early. So I've got 15 minutes to kill. What am I going to do in 15 minutes? Well, Waterstones is there. I I just want, you know, pop in. I'm sure I won't buy anything. Um, but uh, now I'm a big fan of finding something that has been made for the screen and then going and finding the books behind it and reading those. And there's been a new series come out this week on Netflix called Lockwood & Co. Oh, I've watched it. Well... It's by an author called Jonathan Stroud. Um, And I now own book one, because that was all they had in the store. 
And books two, three, four, and five will be in the post at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, I mean, the first season of Netflix is, uh, series, it ends at the end of the first book. Mm-hmm. But I, I love the difference between the book and the TV. Mm. When I watch, when I watch these things, there's loads of questions in my head about, well, what does that mean? And where's that come from? And what's the origin of that? And where's the backstory? And I'm like, and the book will have all of that in it. Um, and you know, do you know what surprised me having seen it? Uh, I've, I've watched an episode on the television. Um, it's young adult section. It is, yeah. No, I'm not surprised at that at all. I think it is, it, but it's it is young adult. So I think it deals with the sort of peril and there's danger yeah. and there's a bit of gore in there as well. It's a bit scary, um, but the theme's definitely a young adult. And I thought it was. I thought the series was very, very well done. And I did wonder whether it had been which came first. Did the book come first and then the TV series, or is it one of those that's got a, a spin-off to it, you know? There's just been a re-releasing of it with a nice new shiny cover with the hmm. next Netflix logo on it. Um, no, I, I think it's going to be interesting to do that. Strangely enough, this last week, I went to the pictures to see a film called A Man Called Otto, which is the oh. Tom Hanks film. Um, and I read the book or when it first came out. So a few years ago, um, I read the book and it, the, the, the book, the original book is called A Man Called Ovo or Ove, O-V-E. Um, and they've changed it. Um, but that, I, I, and I don't, it's very, very, very rare I say this, but the film was better than the book. It, it is rare that, that happens. It does occasionally happen. Yeah. And and for me, it was because um, in the book, um, it was, it didn't, you didn't get a sense of the real humanity that sat behind his character. But of course, Tom Hanks is such a great actor that he does build it. That, that comes out in, in leaps and bounds. And actually, it was funnier than I thought it would be. Um, and although there are some um, humorous bits in the book, uh, certainly not as as good as the 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 film. So it's really strange, isn't it? This whole idea about taking a book and turning it into something on screen. Sometimes it works, but sometimes it just leaves you with shed loads of questions that you need to go away and read for yourself, really. But I wondered about whether you'd seen Lockwood and Co because it's a great. Oh, I thought it was a great series. It's a great series, and. Um... I mean, I suppose for for those listening who haven't seen it or heard of it yet, it tells the story of um, a dystopian future, I suppose. I'm not sure if it's a very distant future, but it, the idea being that there's been an instant where um, spirits, ghosts, have been proven. And they are a very real thing. And there's a curfew and everyone gets in before that curfew. Uh, there's a whole government department set up in Britain to fight and battle ghosts. Um, there's different categories of ghosts, type one, type two, etc. cetera. Uh, and the thing is, children are more receptive. So all the ghost hunters, the, all the agents that can actually see and encounter and catch these ghosts are teenagers. So they uh, feature as the main protagonists of the of the book, but it's um, it's really quite interesting the way it deals with some of the issues. It's very fascinating. I'm really looking forward to getting to the books and seeing how that deals with it. Yeah. Certainly, I feel like the uh, the the skull in the jar has more of a character in the book from what I've gleaned through having a, glip, a flick through. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, it will be added to my pile. When I will get to it, there is no promise or guarantee. And maybe it's one later in the year that we might even feature ourselves, Wendy. Yeah, well, you never know. You never know. Um, but, yeah, Lockwood & Co. Um, the first novel is called The Shrieking Staircase. Hmm. Um, 
available in good bookshops. Um, and I imagine soon and bad bookshops as well. I imagine soon to be available in good and bad bookshops yeah, in bright, new, shiny Netflix branded covers. Oh, I'm sure of that. It's a matter of time, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 Um, right. Superb. Well, that pretty much brings tonight's episode to a close. Um, we will be finishing Snowblind by Ragnar Jonasson next week uh, and seeing how he pulls his threads to pull everything together. Because I think something that both you and I are feel very, I mean, I'm always conscious we shouldn't read too much crime and thriller and such like, because that is our particular favourite genre, Wendy. But I wonder whether um, we we do have a certain distaste for an author who doesn't sort all the loose ends out. Oh, well, we, we absolutely do. And in fairness, when I read even the cosy mysteries and stuff that I read, um, the same rule applies. You know, you can't, don't go leaving me red herrings if you're not going to give me a frying pan to cook them in at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So next week we will conclude uh, Snowblind by Jonas Ragnarsson. We'll be back with Poetry Corner. My turn next week. I shall yeah. see if I can find you a doozy, Wendy. Okay then. Um, and I keep I keep coming back to uh, a couple of my favourite poets, but I'm yet to find one free of expletives um, to bring to the show uh, by those poets. But yes, Snowblind um, by Jonasson, book t- second half of the book next week. Until then, ladies and gentlemen, good reading. Happy reading. See you next week. This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say, Alexa, play Micro Brew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks. <laughs>